chapter 5, and uh, we're going to be looking here again, verses uh, 25 uh, through 33. And uh, last week, if you can remember, uh, we uh, did a little uh, looking at um, what God's Word had to say about uh, husbands loving their wives and uh, the purpose of, of the command there. The, the command was to love, and uh, we, are supposed to, we are supposed to be loving our wives. And the, the whole point of all that was the fact of the gospel. The gospel is the main thing uh, for our marriage and uh, so I wanted to kind of just uh, refocus in a little bit more on that and talk about how we can practically love our wives' husbands, how we can actually love our wives. Um, I got some, a few quotes here um, about what kids had to say about marriage. And uh, it's pretty interesting how children have some very humorous insights about what marriage is. Uh, when asked, how does a person decide who to marry? Alan, age 10, said, you got to find somebody who likes the same stuff. Like, if you like sports, she should like it that you like sports, and she should keep the chips and dip coming. <laughs> Kirsten, age 10, replied, no person really decides before they grow up who they're going to marry. God decides it all way before, and you got to find out later who you're stuck with. <laughs> when asked, what do most people do on a date? Lynette, age eight, says, dates are for having fun, and people should use them to get to know each other. Even boys have something to say if you listen long enough. <laughs> Martin, age 10, says, has some, has some youthful wisdom on this. He said, on the first date, they just tell each other lies, and that usually gets them interested enough to go for a second date. <laughs> when asked, is it better to be single or married? Anita, age nine, says, it's better for girls to be single, but not for boys. Boys need somebody to clean up after them. <laughs> Kenny, age seven, says, it gives me a headache to think about that stuff. I'm just a kid. I don't need that kind of trouble. <laughs> when asked why love happens between two people, Jan, age nine, says, no one is sure why it happens, but I heard it has something to do with how you smell. That's why perfume and deodorant are so popular. Harlan, age eight, says, I think you're supposed to get shot with an arrow or something, but the rest of it isn't supposed to be so painful. <laughs> when asked, what is falling in love like? Roger, age nine, says, like an avalanche where you have to run for your life. <laughs> Greg, age eight, says, love is the most important thing in the world, but baseball is pretty good too. When asked, when is it okay to kiss someone? Pam, age seven, says, when they're rich. <laughs> Kurt, age seven, says, is more cautious. And he said, the law says you have to be 18, so I wouldn't mess around with that. <laughs> Howard, age eight, is a bit more responsible. He says, the rule goes like this, if you kiss someone, then you should marry them and have kids with them. It's the right thing to do. 
Jean, age 10, says, It's never okay to kiss a boy. They always slobber all over you. That's why I stopped doing it. <laughs> when asked how to make a marriage work, Ricky, age 7, says, Tell your wife that she looks pretty, even if she looks like a truck. <laughs> Bobby, age 9, says, Be a good kisser. It might make your wife forget that you never take out the trash. <laughs> Roger, age 8, says, Don't forget your wife's name. That will mess up the love. <laughs> Quite interesting about how people think about love and what love is and, and the importance of husbands loving their wives. Today, I just really wanted to, to finish up this, uh, this passage here and to really give us some practical ways of how we can love our wives. What does it look like practically? What does it look like in the day-to-day -day reality of marriage, how a husband is supposed to love his wife like Christ loves the church? That's what Paul says is this mystery in verse 32. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. So how do we understand how to love our wives? Well, it's all through by gaining a better understanding of what the gospel really is. Um, if you can remember the story that Jesus told about the uh, unmerciful servant, how the uh, unmerciful servant was called in for his debts, and uh, he owed millions and millions of dollars. And uh, the master says, okay, you're going to pay. And he began to fall down on his knees, and he was pleading, Oh, please, 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 have mercy with me, have mercy with me. And uh, finally, that master moved with compassion, forgave him everything, forgave him all of his debt. But then that same unmerciful servant went and found a guy that owed him two bucks, and went over there and said, Give me my money, and began to choke him. Give it to me, give it to me, give it to me. And uh, when he wouldn't give it to him, he threw him into prison. And really, isn't that what the gospel is? Um, that's how we're supposed to live out our marriage. We, don't, we shouldn't be treating our spouses uh, unjustly. Give me what you owe me. Uh, because then we're acting like that unmerciful servant. So that's really the, the heart behind a lot of this in, in marriage relationships and how they should work. So I have six points today. And husbands, if you want to love your wives as Christ loves the church, then you need to give her tulips. T-U-L-I-P-S. Now, these points here are not original with me, and it's an acrostic. Uh, each letter stands for something uh, else. And uh, I think it ought to remind us how we can give our wives tulips. Uh, so let's look here at the first uh, one here. Number one, T, totally commit yourself to loving her. Ephesians 5.25, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. The Lord really wants us to be totally committed to loving our wives because he is totally committed to loving the church. Um, it's a love that really reflects the love of Christ. 
the world, when it uses the word love, really doesn't give us a, a real accurate description of what love is. Uh, a lot of times that word love is, is misinterpreted and it's, it's really lust or it's passion. Um, but God really gives us a picture of what love really is, how Christ loved the church. The world defines it um, by passion, and when that passion fades, the love diminishes. But this is not how we are supposed to be loving our wives. We are supposed to be totally committed to loving our wives. And so it should not be based upon uh, what our wives can or cannot do for us, but it should be based upon Christ-like love. So we don't, we don't get a, a, an accurate de definition of, I'm going to love my wife if she will do this for me. Because if she doesn't do it for you then, you, then you're just like, oh, well, I guess I don't really love her. So if we are to love our wives as Christ loved the church, Christ's love is a gracious love. Jesus loved you when you were totally unworthy of love. Listen to what Romans uh, 5, 8 through 10 says. But God demonstrates his love, his own love for us, in this, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? And so Jesus loved you when you were unworthy of his love. And if we can just learn that and reflect that in our own marriages, boy, how that would really drastically and dramatically change our marriage relationships. So when we say we love our wives as Christ loved the church, it means that you are totally committed to her good, whether you think that she deserves it or not. Because that's exactly how Jesus reflects his love towards you. I enjoyed hearing the testimony of, of Reba here talking about why would God do this for me? I don't deserve this. Yes, yes, yes. Because of his love towards us. When you stood before your spouse, you made vows. Um, how many of you can actually remember the vows that you made when you stood before your husband or wife. Some of us can't, right? But those are serious. I mean, you made a vow before God, and God's going to hold you to those vows. You made a promise. It wasn't just a show. It wasn't just a production that you did. You made a promise, a vow before God. I will love you. I will keep you. I will be committed to you. And so you made vows. It's not a give and take. It's not, I'm going to treat you as good as you treat me. It's not 50-50. Uh, as husbands and for the young people here um, that are not married, I'd really like to give you a little bit of advice. That when you got married or you get married, you married a sinner. Um, if you, if you had aspirations of thinking that your spouse was going to be completely perfect after time, I'm sure you've come to realize that all those little quirks are really kind of irritating. And, you know, they're kind of like, Ugh! you know, 
But you have to remember that as sinners, uh, we are supposed to be showing God's love uh, towards another person, another spouse, our spouses, in the same way that God shows his love towards us. And, you know, no matter how wonderful it seemed to be before you were married, you did not know how sinful your spouse really was. I mean, when I first got married, I thought I was great. <laughs> but then I came to realize how sinful I really was. And so for a marriage to succeed, you need grace. You need grace as you're living with your spouse because they will sin against you. And they will sin against you several, several times. But you must be gracious. You must be committed to loving them even though they are sinners, even though they are sinning against you. You know, you, choose your, you chose your spouse based upon uh, perceived merit. You know, you may have caught their eye. You saw what they were doing. But there was this, there was this perception that they gave but you endure based upon covenant love. And so even though when times get tough, you endure through marriage, not based upon what they can or cannot do, but based totally upon covenant love, that I will be committed to you. I will love you. And so totally commit yourself to loving her. How should a husband respond when your wife sins or she doesn't meet all of your needs. Well, Romans chapter 2, verse number 4 tells us that the riches of God's kindness and forbearance and patience are intended to lead us to repentance. You see, God brought us to repentance and faith by showing us His kindness that we did not deserve. So the calling of every Christian husband is to astonish your wife with kindness, with grace. And so when your wife may not meet up to those needs that you think that she should meet up to, how should you respond? Give me what you owe me. No, that's being the unmerciful servant. That's not the way Jesus did it. What Jesus did is he treated us with kindness, with grace, and he astonished us with his love. Christ-like love is a commitment to do good to the other person, whether or not you think they deserve it. And boy, that's really when marriage is hard. It's when that person has sinned against you and sinned against you and sinned against you and sinned against you. And yet you are to love, forgive, give grace Show them kindness, show them mercy, because that's what we're commanded to do. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7 reminds us this about love. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. And so husbands need to reflect on how God sees you because of Jesus' sacrifice. Remember how God saw you? How does God see you? 
Philippians 3, 9 says this. If you know Christ, it says this about us. And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. So the gospel says that when God looks on you, he does not see you as you really are. He sees you forgiven. He sees you washed. He sees you cleansed. Because of your own merits? No. Because of the merit of Jesus Christ. Listen to the verse again. And be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. And so God does not look at you as righteous because you've kept his law, because you haven't. God does not look at you as being righteous because you've done some good things in life, because you haven't. He looks at you as justified, as saved, because of the merit of Jesus Christ. And that is the love that we are called to reflect, husbands, to our, to our wives as well. So husbands, the call for us is to love like Christ, like he loves us. That means that you are to treat your wife as if she was a perfect wife, even though you know that she is not. Because this is how Christ has treated you. Did you deserve his forgiveness? No. Did you deserve his mercy? No. Did you deserve to be justified? No. But that's exactly how he has treated us. And so you treat her as God would have you treat her. Now what's awesome about this love is that just as God is the initiator in pursuing after us in love, God has made you husband, made me as a husband, to be the initiator in love. 1 John 4.19 tells us we love because, why? He first loved us. So Jesus initiated in love and we responded. And so husbands are the ones who are to initiate in peacemaking. We're to initiate in affection. We're to initiate in relationship. And we're to initiate in conversation. Because just as Jesus initiated in love towards us, if we are to love our wives as Christ loved the church, then we are to initiate in love as well. And I believe all this love should be from the heart, should it not? I mean, to, to do things and it's not really heartfelt. I mean, that's just kind of, you're kind of just going through the motions, right? Like, oh, here you go, here's the birthday card. Oh, here you go, here's the anniversary card. Oh, but if it's not really heartfelt, um, I don't think there's really anything behind that. Hebrews chapter 12, verse number 2 says this, Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. When Jesus went to the cross, you have to think about this. When Jesus went to the cross, even though it was painful, it was horrible, 
I mean, you have to think about this. What was, what was he going to endure while being on the cross? And it says here in Hebrews 12, 2, it says, For the joy was set before him, he endured the cross. What was that joy that he had? It was because he loved us. It was heartfelt. I mean, how would, how would it make you feel to know that if Jesus' sacrifice on the cross really wasn't from his heart? It was just kind of like, I'm just kind of going through the motions here. But it was heartfelt. And when Jesus pursued after you, and when Jesus drew you to himself, you knew that it was real. It was heartfelt because of the love that he had towards you. And so, husbands, we are called to initiate this same type of love from the heart, to be heartfelt love towards our wives. Secondly, you. So, T, totally commit. You unconditionally sacrifice your own interest to meet her needs. Boy, now this is a tough one. Unconditionally sacrifice your own interest to meet her needs. He gave, look what it says, he gave himself up for her, the church. Jesus' love was a very costly love. That was demonstrated on the cross when he gave himself up for the church. That's why the church is important. People that think that the church is not important, you got a very skewed view of the relationship that Christ has with his body of believers. Because he died for the church, it's important to him. And so he gave, he demonstrated this love on the cross. And we husbands have an incredible standard to basically live up to. And what is that standard? To give up, to sacrifice our own interest, our own rights for the sake of our wives. And really this is uh, kind of goes really back to Ephesians chapter uh, 5, verse number 2, because look what he says here. And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. A great passage that shows us how to treat others is found here in uh, Philippians uh, chapter 2, verses 3 through 4. I'll read it here for you. Listen to what he says. He says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interest of others. Now, all that sounds great, doesn't it? I mean, humility, putting others before yourself. I mean, really trying to uh, live that out. But keep reading here, Philippians 2, 5 through 8. He says... Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So Paul says when you get married... You are promising that you will sacrifice yourself for her. Now, this doesn't mean, uh, you know, 
uh, snidely whiplashes over there going, <laughs> and he like ties your wife up and, you know, she's tied up on the railroad tracks and here you come, you know, Dudley Do-Right, you're going to rescue her. You guys all saw Rocky and Bullwinkle, right? Yeah, okay, all right. So, you know, Snidely Whiplash, she's, she's got your wife, she's tied up on the railroad tracks, and you go over there and you untie her, and then she gets free, and then boom, you get hit by the train. No, that's not what he's talking about. Now, although that's, that's good, okay, but what he's talking about is the fact that you will sacrifice your own interest, your own needs to meet her needs. So a real scenario is this. You have to get up at 5 o'clock in the morning, the baby's crying, and it's 3 a.m. And instead of asking the wife to get the baby, you sacrifice your sleep and bring the baby to your wife. Or your wife has some jobs around the house that need to get done, and you have a hobby or a sport that you enjoy doing on Saturdays, and you give up your Saturday to do the honeydew list for her. You give up your rights. Jesus gave up his rights to serve us, did he not? There's a lot of men that are excellent commentators and, and really good at explaining to us Ephesians 5.22, wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, but yet they do not know how to practically live out Ephesians 5.25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for it. So people or men that may think that their God has given him the authority, that he's the king, that everybody's supposed to do what he wants. And, you know, it's my money and I'm going to buy what I want and we're going to listen to what I want to listen to. We're going to eat what I want to eat. You have a very skewed view of Ephesians 5, 25, because you, husband, are called to give up your rights for the needs of your wife. And so we are supposed to unconditionally sacrifice our own interests to meet her needs. So if you want your wife to be submissive, then you need to love her in a self-sacrificing Christ-like way. Let's look at the third one here. L, limit your love to her alone. Limit your love to her alone. Whom did Christ die for? He gave himself up for her alone. That was it. Jesus has a special love for his bride, and he died for us, and he gives us many privileges and benefits. This is what all of Ephesians 1 through 3 covers. Jesus is really very faithful to us. And in the same way, husbands, we must be faithful to our wives. And so obviously I think faithfulness would include our bodies and husbands need to be faithful to their wives and to them alone. But I believe also that our bodies includes our eyes. And so what we look at. And so pornography or other women, I think that this really is very demeaning to our wives. And it's very hurtful. And uh, if there's any men in here, I would say that if you struggle with, with any type of pornography, there is help, there's freedom, there's rescue in Jesus Christ. 
you can be washed and you can be cleansed from that. And uh, I encourage you, if you're, if you're struggling with that, seek out help, really. Um, Jesus can give us the victory over that. But what about even our affections? You know, um, some men can be flirts. That's me. Early along in, my, uh, in, our, in our marriage, uh, my wife, she saw these things in my life and she, she was concerned. And so she came to me and she says, hey, you really need to be careful. I like being the center of attention. I'm, I like being the life of the party. But if I'm not careful, I can give my affection to another when it's really supposed to be towards my wives, to my wife. Not wives, sorry. Wife. Wife. Clarify that. Okay? <laughs> so it's important with that. Um, what about devotion? You know, um, I think that it's not just other women that can make a wife feel neglected and tempted and jealous. Again, this is, this is me. Um, I think, uh, you know, love of sports or an obsession with media or sports or uh, careers or hobbies. Um, wives can feel neglected because we are not giving our devotion to them and them alone. Now, I'm not saying it's wrong to have sports or media or hobbies or things like that. I'm just saying that if you are giving all of your attention to something like that, but yet you are neglecting giving devotion to your wife, then it's wrong. And your wife can feel very neglected in something like that. So our, lo our love should be limited to her and devoted to her alone. Let's look at this next letter, the fourth letter, I. Irresistibly draw her with a love that purifies. Irresistibly draw her with a love that purifies. Now, in these verses explicitly, they show us how Jesus changes us and how we can change our wives. Look at this. That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. So that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. That she might be holy and without blemish. You know, Jesus really did make himself irresistible to you, didn't he? He drew you to himself. You would have never come if he hadn't done that. Listen to what Ephesians chapter 2 verse number 1 says. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 4 and 5. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love which he had loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses made us alive together with Christ, by grace, you have been saved. So when you were dead in sin, Jesus gave you new spiritual life. He made himself attractive to you. He drew you to himself. Jesus didn't just draw you to faith. And, you know, uh, sometimes people live a life, a Christian life. You know, I got saved. I got the T-shirt and I'm just going to live my life. Jesus does not work like that. Jesus drew you, but now he wants to sanctify you. He wants to purify you. He wants to change you. 
And that's exactly what he does. He does it through the power of the word. And he's committed to your continued holiness. Ephesians chapter 1 verse number uh, 4 says, Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. Philippians 1.6, he says, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And so he is committed to your holiness. And just the same way, husbands, we need to be committed to irresistibly drawing our wives with a love that purifies. You say, well, how do we do that? Well, he gives us the example here in Ephesians 5. Look what he says, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. Husbands, your wives are not perfect. And so as husbands, we are called to help our wives change with the power of the word. That's the reason why the church is not perfect. And people that have a, have a view that the church is supposed to be perfect, the church is supposed to be great, and if the church has all these problems, oh, there's something wrong with the church. Yeah, exactly, there is something wrong with the church. It's full of sinners. And they need to be washed. And they need to be purified. They need to be sanctified. And it's a gradual change, day by day, glory by glory, through the power of the word. And that's the same example that we are supposed to do here, husbands, is we are supposed to irresistibly draw her with that love that purifies. And so this is how we are supposed to change her with the washing of the water with the word. So husbands, God's command for us is to actively pursue the spiritual growth of our wives. How can we do this? Pray with her. Read and discuss the Bible with her. It doesn't have to be some long, drawn-out, uh, three-hour Bible study. How about just five minutes? We could all do five minutes. Keep her clean by what you are allowing into your home. Don't pressure your wife to do something that is against her conscience. Encourage your wife to develop her spiritual gifts and use them in the home and outside of the home. You know, God holds me and every other husband responsible for the spiritual growth of our wives. And so when you give your wife back to Jesus, she is supposed to be presented as spotless, without blemish or wrinkle. The wife that God has given you, you are responsible for. And if you live your whole life, you live your whole life without purifying your wife, you have wasted God's gift. And you've neglected the responsibility that God has given you. So irresistibly draw her with a love that purifies. Let's look at this next one, P. Persevere in providing for her every need. Persevere in providing for her every need or continue to provide for her every need. Marriage is supposed to be the one flesh union. That's why he says, 
When these two come together, the husband is supposed to leave the mother and the father, and he is supposed to cleave to his wife. They're to be one flesh. And so this one flesh union really goes back to Genesis, doesn't it? When Adam and Eve came together, God brought them together. Adam says, now you are bone of my bone. You are flesh of my flesh, right? So they came together, this one flesh union. You are one with your wife and she is part of yourself. And so you should love her in a way that you love your own body because this is the example that Paul gives this so is what he says. He who loves his wife loves himself. Husbands should love their wives as their own bodies, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it. And so we are called to love our wives as we love ourselves. And Paul is actually making the assumption here that men love themselves by saying this in verse 29. And we do love ourselves. How do you know you love yourself? Well, when you're hungry, what do you do? Eat. There you go. All right. Awesome. Okay. When you're tired, you do what? Sleep. Um, when you're sick, you do what? Go to the hospital. Go to the doctor. Right? You take care of your bodies because it's the only one that you got. Well, same thing. Husbands. God has given you a wife. This is your wife, and you need to take care of her because this is, the, this is the wife that God has given you. And so you need to provide for her needs. And so you provide her, you provide for him. How? Well, look, look, look at the words that he uses here. He uses these words, nourishes and cherishes. So he nourishes and he cherishes us. Jesus has given us everything, has he not? I mean, he's richly provided for us, and we as husbands should, should imitate the same. And so God uses this word, nourishes, that means that you will do whatever is necessary to provide for her needs. So that means that you being the provider in the home, making the money, making sure the kids have clothes, making sure uh, she's taken care of. You are nourishing your wife. You are providing for her needs. Another way that you provide for your wife is to take care of what needs to be done around the house. Our wives may have things that need to be done. Maybe there's the, uh, you know, the, the pipe has is, is been leaking and she's been asking, hey, can you take care of that pipe? Oh, yeah, yeah, I will, I will, I will. I'll, I'll do it, I'll do it, I'll do it. Maybe it's the garage door that won't open or shut. Okay, yeah, I'll, I'll get it, I'll get it. We'll just leave the car park. Oh, we'll get it, we'll get it, we'll get it. Maybe it's the car battery that's been dead for a long time and you didn't get it replaced yet, or the light bulb that hasn't been changed. There are needs that your wife may have around the house that need to get fixed. And when you put them off and we say, I'll get to it next week, next month, when March Madness is over, okay? When we do that... Our wives may feel neglected. And so you can make these deposits in the love bank by doing these things for your wives. How's your love bank balance? Is it full? Is it, is it kind of negative? Is it about ready to uh, be expired? You need to make these deposits, and you do this by nourishing, taking care of the needs. But the Bible also uses the word cherish here. Wives need to be cherished. 
This may be understanding your wife. She's different than you. Listen to what 1 Peter 3, 7 says. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. We should learn our wives, study them, ask them questions, be patient and gentle with your wife. Colossians 3.19 says, Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Many husbands are angry, bitter, or harsh with their wives, and that is not Christ-like or gracious. Some husbands may be judging their wives because their wives are sinners and they are not perfect. Aren't you glad that Jesus doesn't treat you that way? And really, that's why I say, when you reflect on the gospel, it really helps you love your wife like you should. Because you remember how sinful you were. You remember how God gave you grace when you didn't deserve it. He gave you mercy when you didn't deserve it. And that's exactly how you are supposed to treat your wives. And people might say, but you don't understand. You don't know what my wife did. What did you do to Jesus? But yet he still forgave. He still gave grace. And so we need to persevere in providing for their every need. Proverbs 31.11 says this, The heart of her husband trusts her. One of the things I believe as husbands that we need to understand is that God gave us a wife to be a helper. Not a slave, a helper. One way that she helps me is that she sees things that I don't see. Find out what she thinks. When it comes time to making a decision, ask your wife. Ask her. Is there, am I missing something here? You, husband, are ultimately in charge of making the decision. It's going to lie upon you. But ask your wife. Our wives have a, have a great ability to see the, the, the blind spots that we don't see. And so we need to ask them. Another way that we cherish our wives is by expressing appreciation to her. Proverbs 31, 29 says, The husband expresses his appreciation to his wife. Listen to what he says. There are many virtuous and capable women in the world, but you surpass them all. That's appreciation. That's giving your wife a compliment. You know, when I uh, first got married or before I got married, I used to write my wife all these like love notes. I mean, we got boxes of all these love notes that I used to write her. And you know what she told me? She says, how come you don't write me love notes anymore? <laughs> I used to say, oh, you look so beautiful. How come you don't tell me I look beautiful anymore? What have I done? Boy, I've really kind of dropped off the deep end. We need to show appreciation to our wives. Why? Because if we don't treat our wives in an understanding and gracious way, listen to the warning what Peter says. Your prayers, husband, will be hindered. So if we don't treat our wives in a gracious, kind, loving way, our prayers will be hindered. And again, that's why the gospel must be at the forefront in our marriages. Let's look at the last one here. Steadfastly endure when marriage is difficult. 
Verse 33 here is really a reminder about marriage and a repeat of these biblical roles as he says, However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Why remind? Why remind us of this? Why remind of the biblical roles? Husbands, love your wives. Wives, respect your husband. Well, I believe it's because we have a tendency to forget. And you know, I sometimes find I forget when I'm in the midst of a difficulty. I forget about God's love. I forget about his grace. I forget about his mercy. And so there's a reminder here. Don't forget this because marriage will be difficult. What is the cure for difficulties in marriage? Christ's love. 1 John 4, 19, I'll say it again. We love because he first loved us. Remember that God loved you not while you were perfect or doing everything he wanted you to do, but God loved you while you were a sinner. You were performing sinful deeds, being defiant to God, living a wicked life, and God turned his affection and love towards you. And it is this kindness of God that leads us to repentance. Love your wife even when marriage is difficult. And it is in these difficult times, I believe, for both husband and wife, if we take our eyes off of self and we focus in on Christ, we remember the gospel, we remember what Christ has done, we can turn that tide. When a, when a, when a marriage is, is rocky, when marriage is difficult, if we take the eyes off of self, my needs, what I want, and we focus them back on Christ, we really can turn that tide. We can obey the command, husbands, love your wives. And so Christ-like love is really the goal. And we do that by reflecting on the gospel. So husbands, give your wives tulips, literally and figuratively. I don't know how to put that, okay? Let's pray together.